place I expected to find truly holistic health information or any kind of spiritual philosophies were within my sport and exercise science degree. So when I came across Dr. Bobby Chima, I was not only pleasantly surprised, but incredibly excited to learn from him. Bobby's units contained all the necessary health-related information you'd expect from units such as exercise prescription and exercise for health and disease prevention, but they also included information on science versus scientific agenda, alternative therapies including meditation, yoga, psychedelic and plant medicines, the impact of emotional trauma on health, and much, much more. So everyone, I am so, so excited to have on the podcast today, my former university lecturer and tutor and friend, Dr. Bobby Chima. Thanks guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the lovely uh, introduction and welcome to Coldale. Thank you nice. so Thanks much for having, for having us, nice for you to, us in your beautiful <laughs> to space. Here. Yeah, thank you. Um, would you like to run us through your little self-introduction to yourself, your work and anything else you would like to share? Oh, where do I begin? Um, yeah, so I was born and raised in Canada uh, to Indian immigrant parents. So that brought with it some unique uh, experiences maybe we can get into. Um, and yeah, I consider myself Canadian. I hold dual citizenship with uh, Australia and Canada. And yeah, my formative years, we grew up, uh, I grew up in northern British Columbia playing ice hockey and skating and doing all that kind of snow stuff. And, and that was really fun. Uh, my formal education mostly was uh, in Vancouver, uh, British Columbia, at the University of British Columbia. And I did my master's at the University of Victoria following that. Uh, did uh, my first research study there, which was actually exercise in a group of uh, breast cancer survivors. And that really opened my eyes a lot. Um, I got into that area because my mother was a, was a survivor herself. So yeah, I, I, I guess that decision to kind of um, go down that road of prescription and understanding health and well-being was really facilitated by my personal experience of seeing my mother go through cancer treatment and kind of thinking like, you know, I've got this knowledge and I've got this passion for exercise and I always played, you know, a bit of sport and I want to kind of contribute something. So it kind of led me down this uh, trajectory of, of master's and PhD study. Um, yeah, so subsequent to my master's degree, I moved to Sydney, and that was associated with a big transition for me, uh, psychologically. Um, that was really my awakening, which, which happened in um, 2003, which I can go into some of the details of that. Um, and really just trying to, from my PhD, which I studied at Sydney University, just trying to really make sense of the world and see where I fit in and discover myself a little bit more and, you know, trying to make sense of what my purpose and goals are here, really. So I guess that's kind of an introduction. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's beautiful and it's perfect, perfect. because yeah. as, as a former student of yours, I can really feel and hear how your teachings are so beautifully, yeah, like a conveyance of everything that you've been through everything that you stand for, everything that you are. Yeah, you, your life interweaves with your teaching really, really beautifully and clearly. So that was a perfect introduction and Thank definitely you. want to <laughs> dive into a few different areas yeah. of that. Um, but what actually brought you to Sydney? And please speak about 2003 and that awakening period in your life a little bit more. Oh, it's really, I mean, it's funny because you go through so many little things in your life and you go, oh, that was meant to happen and this was meant to happen. And I, I kind of ended up here because all of these little idiosyncrasies and synchronicities and that kind of thing. Um, I grew up playing competitive ice hockey and I left the sport at about the age of 18 because I, I made a decision that I was going to pursue academics rather than, um, you know, uh, so much a, um, going to the university level with, with my ice hockey and stuff like that. Um, and that was pivotal for me because it was really, it was associated with a massive, um, kind of death and resurrection kind of experience, uh, which, um, you know, when, when you leave a sport. Uh, as a competitive athlete, you kind of go through this period of grief and loss because you're losing family. You're losing, in a way, you're losing identity because everything you've been, um, everything you've experienced to that point is, is associated with, I am this, I am this person, you know, and it's the persona, it's the ego. Um, so it's not, it wasn't really who I was, but I identified with being an athlete and, and being around other ice hockey players and stuff. And, and that was all um, led me to this, um, 
kind of loss of experience and loss of self. And I turned to the ocean <laughs> and I started surfing, which was at the age of 18. And that was the first um, time I felt really reignited. And I thought, like, this is amazing. And this is something I want to do. And <laughs> I, get, I get kind of emotional just talking about it because it's such a pivotal time in my life. And it brought me to, to Sydney because I'm like, I want to do my PhD somewhere I, where I can surf. You know, I want to have that, the best of both worlds, so to speak. So I came to Sydney and um, started my PhD. And, and um, um, as luck and fortune would have it, I met my wife at the university. And here we are, you know, it's like close to 20 years later, living a beautiful life with two children. And yeah. So that was, that was 2003 when I moved and everything's kind of really um, just flourished in my life since then with, with, with challenges and ups and downs and of course, but uh, yeah, really amazing ride, amazing journey. Yeah. That's epic. A great yeah. reason to move to Sydney for the surf. Yeah. yeah. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was also working with one of the best people in my, my field. Amazing. Uh, I should acknowledge that. And uh, she was uh uh, very important mentor in my life uh, as well, which is uh, Maria Singh at uh, Sydney University. So, yeah, amazing. Yeah. So the ocean was one of the main things, apart from the pivotal moment. But the ocean was one of the main things that brought you, uh, connected you to the, a deeper part of yourself. Yeah. As you mentioned it was a, a very connected to your awakening. Yeah, yeah. Coming to Sydney was, I mean, I guess I was always like, as a kid, I felt. I could read people's energy a bit. I felt vibes, you know, mm. I couldn't articulate it in any kind of words, but I, I knew if, if people were kind hearted or a bit nasty mm -hmm. and we kind of don't get taught to hone those kind of feelings because we're taught in the analytical, we're taught in language and um, the intuition doesn't speak any language. It's just the feeling. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, um, that, connection with the ocean was pretty important for me because it really rekindled something in me that was always probably there. It's just that I need to be reminded of it, Yeah, you know? And it's just that feeling that I think really from all the masters that I've read, it's that feeling of uh, ultimate presence that is the definition of um, higher living or higher consciousness enlightenment if you want to call it mm. those people that operate in that space all the time i consider to be enlightened people um I was just watching a netflix documentary about michael jordan and oh, one of the yeah, yeah and one of the people just nailed it and he said um michael jordan was a sage because he was operating in the present moment all the time and, and that's what surfing gave me it gave me that sense of like um feeling really present really charged like feeling like light like mm. this is this feels good you know this is the state i want to be in yeah. um and i think it's really easy to, to get like addicted to that of course but yeah. it's to bring that kind of feeling of presence into all of our experiences whether we're washing dishes or whether we're surfing in beautiful waves or whether we're holding the hand of a child you know whatever yeah. it is it's like that that present moment is is absolutely what it showed me and that's what it rekindled in me. Yeah. It's so, beautiful. Yeah. And what a beautiful way to navigate your um, your path through academia as well, which can be so dense, you know, sitting behind a desk, chipping away at your yeah. papers and whatnot, to be able to go out, get in the ocean, get in the surf, and yeah, yin and yang. Yeah, it, it's definitely brought a lot of balance into my life. Mm. Um, the analytical and the... The language associated with that, I've touched on language because that keeps us out of that state of connection with the greater and that peace comes, that peace and that, that flow, which the athletes call it, you know, the flow state, comes when we are fully engaged in the present. And the more we're absorbed in the <clears throat> mental chatter, the further away we're removed from it. So the academic world is very tough and it's, it's a world that's really people associated with ego and um and there is a lot of that because it is literally arguing over 
you know, where, where the period's going to go on a sentence, like where the, where the comma's going to go on a sentence. And this word doesn't quite fit here. It must be moved there. You know, it's all this kind of slicing and dicing and arguing about nothing in many respects. And that keeps us removed from spirit, removed from source, you know. So I'm, I'm thankful I have nature, in a way, family, um, to, to, to bring me back to the ground and root me. You know, in, in kind of like this sacred space of just being really centered, just feeling centered and and um, being appreciative of, of what, what is. Yeah. So tell us, how do you aspire to inspire through your work or through the way you live your life? What is the message you're trying to convey to the people around you? Um, well, my passion for teaching has really been reignited this last year just because of the two years of lockdown. Um, and it's such a important position that I feel that I'm in because the people that I speak to are really going to be involved in shaping the future. And how do I aim to inspire them? I, I think the inspiration comes from being able to, to walk the talk. Um, and that comes from a process of, of inner um, development, I think. And I, I've, I've just really come into this kind of understanding in the last few years, really, that um, my own inner processes have so much impact on how I convey information and, and how I am able to, to reach people in a lecture format or even in a, in a less formal format, you know, just, greeting, just ch chatting with people on the street, for example. So um, I try to live everything that I teach. Uh, and that includes, you know, weight training, taking care of my diet, taking care of my health, giving back to the earth, you know, having chickens, <laughs> you know, things <laughs> like that. So, um, and it's a, it's, it's an ongoing process of evolution for me, you know, self-discovery. And the more I discover about myself, the more I'm able to, I guess, sharpen or improve the impact that I'm having on people. Yeah. And really for me, it's, it's, it's all consciousness um, and consciousness being that the impact that we have when we're like speaking to an audience or when we're speaking to a person one-on-one, -on -one, it, it, it can change a person right then and there. Um, it can trigger something in a person and that leads to this, overarching kind of understanding of our evolution as a species is that we need to evolve. We need to go to a higher level of understanding of ourselves and how we take care of the earth and our place in it and um, our relationship to, to everything uh, out there as well. You know, so I think, um, you know, Krishnamurti's quote, um, <clears throat> never understood it. In the beginning, <laughs> Jiddu Krishnamurti is, a, is, is an amazing teacher. And he once said the, the following. He said, the observer is the observed. And I never really got that. I'm like, what is he, what is he on, on about? Like, the observer is the observed. Basically, the world out here is just a reflection of what's going on inside of us. Yeah. You know? As everything, that, yeah, everything that we experience in life is just the product of our inner and that c comes with every single accident we have, every single chance meeting we have, every single you know chance meeting. There's no such thing as it's all meant to happen. You I know? agree. And it's all it's all a process. And you know we're we're looking basically at a reflection of ourselves when we look at what's in front of us, you know. And the more I understand, like the more I kind of feel that, the the clearer it becomes. Yeah. If that makes sense. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've always believed that I've described it to people as you and I could walk down the same street. And uh, if you're someone who's pessimistic minded, you might see, you know, someone pulling their dog because their dog's not following quickly enough. You might see an old man yelling at the skaters on the street. And then I might walk down that street a minute later or even at the same time and see beautiful birds, trees, yeah. hear whistles that make me happy, yeah. see a man do something kind for something else, for somebody yeah. else. It's one of those um, things that you don't know you're experiencing until you start to bring your awareness to it where 
everything going on inside you and the way you feel directly manifests in your immediate yeah. physical world like almost immediately yeah um and that i mean to anyone reflective is probably one of the most profound things we get to realize in this lifetime um and also quite a pivotal thing you know i think that when people come across that little piece of information like as above so below what you know what we experience is what mm reflects what's inside of us they they can perhaps perceive it as something that is really deeply mystical or intangible or something but it is as literal as mm. your perception in influences your reality your state yeah. of being attracts positive or negative just by nature of what you focus on but the thing is that it is as esoteric as it is simple and yeah as so I'm very much in this realm, you know, you're speaking Jesse and I's language. And so making my way through my university degree, that's why you stood out to me so clearly because you were somebody who embodies the, like the full power, um, like unlimited sort of expansive nature of consciousness, but also down to the very macro nitty gritty science by the books kind of thing. You, you, mm. you were just fully integrated and very holistic and quite mystical in your presentation of science. And you, you were somebody who I think is like one of the rare examples of someone who lives both mysticism and logic and scientific practice and, and merges the two and presents it so practically and tangibly that you wouldn't even think it was dense scientific information mm. or super mysterious holistic information. So my question for you is, in what ways do you, Bobby, incorporate both science and esotericism into your life? And how has science interacted with esotericism in your mind and what influence has this had on your life? I, I think on the global level, where we're at, I'll just talk on that um, front, where just my perception is we're bringing all this knowledge together now. So it's East meets West. You know, there's been this heavy influence on Western medicine, we can say, um, but there's a recognition amongst physicians who practice Western medicine that it's limited in what it can do. You know, it needs more. Um, so in the field of medicine, in the field of any field, um, whether it's physics, medicine, um, it could be, you know, in politics, for example, you know, all those fields are changing rapidly. Uh, and it's, it's, it's the fusion of the Eastern and the Western philosophy, which, which I think is just a projection of the left and right hemisphere of the brain, really. It's that fusion, that sense of um, coming together of those aspects. In terms of like my personal kind of, how do I incorporate it? I grew up in an Indian family. Uh, so I grew up with people reading, you know, palms at the table for, for a laugh, you know, kind of thing. This is what I was introduced to and, you know, people talking about the stars and what effect it had on our um, state of being and, you know, full moons and whatnot. Um, my mother is very intuitive herself. So it's, it's, you know, person that sees spirits and stuff like that. And she talks about it. So this, um, this is something that I grew up with and it's hard growing up in a Western society to retain. I, I mean, it's, it's probably challenging to retain that. Um, because everything is about, you know, in the West, it's all about what do you got? You know, the material, you know, what do you got? You know, like sensory pleasures, trips overseas, you know, we've got the, um, Mercedes parked in the garage, all this kind of stuff. Like we, we, pers we pursue that materialism to the nth degree in the West. Now we understand that that doesn't give us happiness, you know, so there's gotta be more to it. So, um, I guess for me personally, it's just like, yeah, the saturation effect of like, yeah, this is, this is all great. These material things and blah, 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 but I need more, you know, I need more. And I relate to back to my childhood and growing up in, in the family that I did and kind of like, okay, you know, my dad's reading Deepak Chopra. This kind of looks kind of interesting. So, you know, things, things were kind of presented to me in a way, you know, my dad's, reading on Deepak and I'm like, you know, there's a book up there is, is how to know God. Um, and I brought that book to, to Sydney with me in 2003. That was one of the books that I took. Mm -hmm. And it's always been fascinating because I know there's so much more to it in a way. What we do for research in the, in universities and stuff is, is just so obvious exercise is good for people. You don't need a randomized control trial to prove that, 
you know? How do we implement it in and amongst an obesity rate of 70%? <laughs> do you know what I mean? So there's, it's like something's missing here, you know? And as I went through my academic journey and, <clears throat> you know, not getting um, the grants that I would have expected to get because industry really controls the reins of, of power in science. Um, and I, I just felt like I couldn't sell out in that respect. And I had to stay true to my values and pay the price for it in some ways, you know, in terms of career progression and stuff. It was not as rapid as some of my peers. But, you know, now I'm just in a position where I'm like, I'm, I'm content with where, what I've achieved in academics and I'm focusing on the broader aspect of my life. So raising children in a, in a, in a good way, like the best way that I can, of course, inform my self-reflection and self-development, learning about gardening. I don't know that much about gardening, but I'm learning as I go. And, and all this stuff is kind of like death and resurrection stuff. It's like, you know, it's like, ah, you know, you got to let go of that and just evolve yourself a bit more, picking up the guitar for the first time when I'm, you know, 47 years of age or whatever. Um, all this kind of stuff is just really contributed to my understanding of, of how I can keep evolving myself over time. And this contributes to my, I don't know, I guess, improvement in a way evolution yeah mm. yeah yeah, yeah does that kind of answer the question i don't, i kind of went on tangent no 100 percent. your your tangents are what we're here for okay. yes <laughs> <laughs> i love that you mentioned that yeah like science versus mysticism is the ex the outward expression of the left and right hemispheres of the brain and how yeah, cool. it, it does speak to this fundamental like this is the nature of existence we're always bouncing between poles and the aim is yeah. to move towards some sort of integrated center. 100%. And I think that's what you're doing in this phase of your life that you're in, you're understanding that it really is about moving away from segmentation towards integration. And yeah. then that is why your teachings are so beautifully profound because you're expressing from an authentic space of aspiring towards wholeness. And that is what the message is that is coming across. Yes, mm. it fits into the health science model, but that's why it also has those nodes of, subtlety that speak to the grander things because you're like like you say wholeness is about m the methods are simple but the implications are profound and mm. it's can the human race hold beyond the methods can it hold the implication of what it means to look yeah. after ourselves and to be in a state of good health well yeah. hopefully <laughs> yeah look like uh, you know in my view there there is a hand that's suppressing evolution in a way um, they're desperately attempting to suppress our evolution, but in a way, from a higher perspective, it's almost like they're our teachers. You know, I, I, I don't know if you've seen the movie V for Vendetta, but there's a scene in that movie where, um, the protagonist is being, is being tortured by her friend, you know, and she basically loses, lo like loses it on it. Like when she finds out it was him because she didn't know who was torturing her, um, that, you know, why did you do that to me? Why did you do that to me? Because we don't evolve without some kind of pressure. You know what I mean? Like we're all just like, and that's, that's what we've become is this kind of society where people are just complacent. I mean, the World Cup is on right now and every, it's, just, it's just bread and circuses. You know, at the end of the day, that's what it is. I mean, that's, you know, it, it's, it's wonderful to admire somebody's sporting ability. But why are we paying people $10 million a year to chase a ball around a field when we're not even paying the people to educate our children in a, in a proper way? Yeah. You know, we're not paying those educators. It's priorities. With, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Our priorities are backwards because we want bread and circuses. We want entertainment. Yeah. entertainment we want the yeah. laziness. We want the complacency. Yeah. We want the mm. beer in the fridge. We want the, the, the Netflix Etc. Etc. Yeah. yeah. I love so, that one of the things you said during my time in Weston was that um, you mentioned that being into something, it's something along the lines of being into sports means you like to sit in the in the chairs and watch someone play the game, and that's what being into sports is in this day and age. Yeah. And I just thought that was such a brilliant point. Like, yeah. why are people sitting around watching other people move their bodies? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of going in and putting the work for themselves, it's. It's funny. The methods of crowd control have not changed in thousands of years. It's it's literally as modern day gladiators. Yeah. This is what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. 
And um, the opportunity has been provided to us to evolve. Some people have chosen that path. It's a difficult path to walk, okay? Relative to being, you know, in the in in with the mass of of, of people, the mass consciousness. Um, but you know, organic food is a thing. We've we've created this whole movement. People have created this whole movement about becoming more conscious with the food that we're eating. People are becoming more conscious with the way that they're moving. You know, there's a there's a starting to become a de-emphasize the whole idea of of body image as a motivator for get, engaging in exercise, and we're starting to talk about health and well-being and how how well we move, how functional we are. So these this evolution is taking place despite the suppression of consciousness, this downward suppression of consciousness. So in a way, these guys that suppress humanity are doing us a favor because they're forcing us to evolve, you know? And this is an opportunity for people. And right now, everybody's on the fast track, <laughs> you know, or not. They can choose to, you know, get it, get this idea, like gov maybe governments are not telling us the truth or the whole thing. Maybe the pharmaceutical companies have vested interests in making profits. Um, maybe they don't really care about our health and well-being. I mean, the, you know, all the evidence is there. Um, so how an individual evolves in and amongst this, this chaotic mess that we call civilization, we have the opportunity. Because nobody's holding a gun to our head and say, you can't eat that organic food. You can't do those psychedelics. You can't blah, blah, blah. There's always a way. And this is the, this is the future is, is going to be shaped by these people who actually step outside, um, the paradigm that we're in. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of where we're at, I think, as a, as a species. Um, and it only takes a certain small percentage of us to drive the change to what's going to come, yeah. you know, cause the time is, it's, it's the time for it. Yeah. Uh, we can't keep living the same way we're living. Yeah. yeah. It's true. I have a funny story that sort of uh, elucidates what you're trying to say when you say that the, the hands that are forcing consciousness down are our teachers. When I was living overseas, there were these two garden beds. Uh, it was lavender, right? One was directly outside a cafe and one was right next to it. They both had same access to water and sunlight and one was constantly being ashed in. People were throwing empty cigarette butts, uh, ashing their cigarettes in there and yeah. that one ended up growing faster. Right, And I was blown away by that because I was a landscaper before I moved overseas. It was one of the jobs I was doing to save um, for my time overseas. And I observed that with such an insane, um, it had a real, a real big impact on me. And then when you said it now, there are teachers that brought back that story. And I was like, it makes sense. You grow faster when something's pressing down against you because yeah. you, your motivation to grow becomes stronger. Yeah. It's also why I think... Um, the way that everybody moves is such a metaphor for their entire lives and why I think resistance training is so brilliant. It's resistance mm. training. We're, work, we're learning how to work with resistance in order to create positive adaptation. Oh, yeah. And so it's, it's a beautiful reframe on absolutely everything because even when people think that they're evolving – they're actually becoming fixated on the, the oppressors. You know, they think they're evolving by pointing it out and mm. getting all caught up and mm. everything's a lie. And it's like, but you're still not evolving. You're still mm. fixating on. Yeah. Well, they're letting their energy be dampened yes. by the people because they're letting the, they're choosing to perceive the power that they hold over the mass consciousness yeah. as a negative thing. Then they end up in like inhabiting negative emotions themselves. Yeah. How do you stay accepting and loving and living with good values in and amongst everything you know about the world and focus on myself and that's been really hard nice because it's the chaos is out there right <laughs> there's <laughs> nothing you can do about it i guess i, I guess that was, that's the point i was trying to make is that you you see people flipping out and buying toilet paper you know like losing their shit because they can't go to down to the cafe because they can't all this kind of stuff but you can only change what's inside and hence coming back to the reflector is the reflected yeah the, the observer is the observed you know yeah. it, it, it is all inside of us and um you know that we, we like I, I, we didn't know what to expect with, with the first lockdown, second lockdown, third lockdown, they're coming after us, you know, the government's going to turn up at our door and pull us down and, you know, jam the needle in our arm and all this kind of stuff and our neighbors are going to dob us in and blah, 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 you know, all this kind of stuff. You, you have no control. You know, don't know where it's going to end up. But there's a reason that things are working out the way they are because we're being, we're, we had to see it as a people uh, to evolve. And um, what has all been hidden 
um, and this a lot of psych psychologists understand this is uh, deep shadow work. The more we look at the, the insanity in ourselves as individuals, the more we'll be able to cleanse society as a whole because mm -hmm. we're cleansing ourselves when we're looking at the insanity within us. Yeah. You know, so that's shadow work. Yes. You know, looking at those blind spots. And that's where psychedelics actually really helps because it removes um, the mind from the equation in a way. So, yeah, I guess to answer your question is to come back to self and understand that self is everything. Mm. It's everything that I'm looking at, you know. So, um, yeah, it sounds a bit cliche, I guess, but yeah. I don't think it's cliche at all. And the observer is the observed is a profound statement. I want to be chewing on that one for weeks. Yeah, it's so quite multifaceted. Like, there's like, many different layers of interpretation. And yeah. yeah. I, I would initially, on first instinct, I'd perceive it as um, the ones looking and the, the ones and the ones being looked at are the same in the same way that God and consciousness are all inherently connected. But like you said, there's a lot of multifaceted ways uh, to interpret that. So I'm, gonna, mm. I'm enjoying that, that interpretation. Um, right now, but you know these quotes, they can change meaning in your life. Like you read them a month later. Um, your, your second book on your shelf is my favorite book, The Power of Now. And every time I read that, every like three to six months or so, I, I, I find new ways to interpret, reinterpret what I had previously understood as maybe my version of correct. Right. It just yeah. evolves, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. It is <laughs> such, a, such a, a vastness that we can grow into. By, by looking inward um, and we're not taught that are we from, not at all. from kindergarten we're taught to look outward all the problem solving happens out here you know we, we try to fix our we fix our world and our problems by focusing on what's in front of us and outside of us and that's not the way it works you know so it doesn't yeah. Yeah, speaking of even the last few years and lockdowns and stuff like that, what I feel is that the circus that's always happening outside of ourselves is just going to get more and more whack and chaotic and they're going to bring yeah. out all of these crazy things to try and shock us into fixating and focusing and mm. selling our attention to what is outside of ourselves. But there are constant yeah. invitations to go deeper and deeper and deeper into yeah. our self-practices. And then by nature of going back towards ourselves and regulating and fixing and going into that shadow and doing the work and yeah. healing then once we come back out to our world regardless of whether it's still in a state of chaos quote-unquote chaos because we've shifted our own internal state of being the world mirrors that mm. and so you find your peace in amongst it and so that's why I, th I think people were quite triggered in the last few years when like jesse and i would both just float our way through life with you know just living our own life it, on our own terms on our own terms yeah. like not not manifesting the best of every situation no matter yeah. what people will be like how are you going what have you guys you know how have you, what have you been getting up to in your own well just you know i've been hanging out yeah. and we've been doing this and that all the same stuff swims yeah. and <laughs> yeah you exercising know, swimming and people are waiting for the but you know it's been really and there's just because they want to be validated right they yeah. want to like but how are you doing with it i'm like doing with what my life hasn't changed a little yeah. bit yeah. i understand that many people's lives did change yeah. but I guess our perceptions on the whole thing allowed us to stay, I guess, manifest the best of every situation. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you don't need the drama. Like when you bring the focus back towards the self, there's enough there yeah. to keep life so rich and so interesting. And so when you've done the inner homework, it was nothing to go through. Yes. Like it really wasn't that much. The, the difficult thing for me is um, kind of this, this connection to the larger society so the masking issue was a big one for me um and i did wear a mask at times when i absolutely had to but for the most part i was quite well I, I tried to stay as strong as i could and, and not wear the mask as as much as like I, I tried to avoid wearing the mask as much as possible and the reason for that is because i understand it's like it's a consciousness thing okay so it's like if, if somebody sees me without a mask some people might be hating on me. In fact, most people might. But maybe one person that I see at the supermarket might go, oh, fuck. Oh, he's not wearing a mask. I'm not going to wear a mask either. You know, And that's, that's what it took for me because I saw yeah. one person wearing a, not wearing a mask and I'm like, I'm, I'm going to do that too. So I got my little statutory declaration and I'm using that if I need it, right? Um, because it takes one person. It's like that parable, that story of um, the emperor's wearing no clothes. It takes that one child to go, 
wait a second, this is all effed up. He's not wearing any clothes. He doesn't have new clothes on. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like that's snapping people out of that kind of, um, what's the word for it? Trance state. Yeah. Makes them think deeper just for, just for a second. Yeah. But so, and, and that's how we're all connected is we're connected through that consciousness. It's like you see it and it's like, man, it changes your life in an instant, you know? Yeah. Um, whether it's a, a music or a piece of art or somebody saying something down at the cafe to you, you know, whatever it is, it's like, wow, yeah, ignited, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and the more we can um, recognize that and, and peel ourselves away from that technology and use, our, use the technology in a good way rather than it control us, which is kind of the dance we're, we're finding ourselves in right now, that um, that's what leads to our, you know, upward evolutionary process. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I think that's the kind of liberation that a truly informed understanding of health can bring to somebody's lifestyle because people think that people weren't wearing masks because they don't give a shit about this, that and everything else. And it's like, yeah. it's such an informed decision to go against the mandates for the reason of it's for the greater good of your consciousness and the consciousness of those around you to have solidarity into community, to be able to yeah. see the smiles on people's faces, what that's doing for your subconscious mind, your nervous system and your community, your sense of community and your connection to the other organisms that make up us as a whole mm. on this planet. But it's like people again have this fragmented view of what it means to be alive, healthy, a citizen of whatever, you know. Well, we're programmed from day one, you know, that's, that's the thing. And we have to we have to we have to find that information for ourselves because it's not going to be presented to us on the six o'clock news, you know. So yeah. um yeah, it's 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 but again it's a gift to be able to do that. Yeah. Um because everything's there, like all the, the great authors and teachers of the past are there um, in the written form. All the spiritual teachers of today are there. Um, we've got access to good food. We know it. We know it's not so good for us in terms of you know pesticides, herbicides, and all that kind of stuff. So the information is there. It's just whether or not we use it. Are we mature enough to evolve ourselves? You know, some people not. That's, that's a sad thing to say, but spiritually they're not they're not ready to evolve, um, and, and that's kind of like the chaos that we're living in right now. We're we're split as a as a collective. We're you know still people stuck in the materialistic three D reality, and we've got people ascending to five D consciousness. You know, so um, this is this is a real thing, and you can see it it's palpable, you know, in amongst society right now. So I think yeah, I I, I really encourage everybody friends family nieces nephews parents to get out of their frame of reference you mm. know we we need to start thinking more broadly about the options that are available to us in our life and the experiences that are available to us because i think that's what happens you can grow up in the most beautiful place in the world but it's like what yeah like how do you liberate yourself from these invisible shackles that mm society your parents you you create for yourself and yeah what are some of your ways some of some of your practices to keep things fresh in your mind yeah to bring yourself out of your frame of reference and to really contemplate things from outside of your confines yeah um i don't know how to answer that question can you give me like an example of what you think I think surfing would do that, wouldn't it? Because you'd never know exactly what the wave is going to look, how, how it's going to crash. You mean just to get out of your, like my comfort zone? To get is out that... of your mind, to get out of, yeah. Like, mind. so for example, um, there's this concept of, or there's this experience when astronauts go to, they leave the Earth's atmosphere and they look down at the Earth and they're all of a sudden removed from their frame of reference so they've never seen anything from this perspective before is that visualized or is it actually oh real? it's it's ten, like it's real like real. when actual okay. astronauts leave the Earth's okay. atmosphere and all of a sudden they have what can be described as like a transcendental experience where they where they they feel like they are no longer attached to their ego right. self-identity yeah. they have an out-of-body experience they feel like they merge with some sort of a greater sense of consciousness um because they've yeah had the experience of I am no longer 
attached to this name, this occupation in this part of the yeah. world. So for that, me, those experiences are fundamental to my life. Like being able to zoom radically out of my point of view and just see what else is available to me. So yeah. do you have, yeah, like the state of flow, like Jesse mentioned is also another one that can bring you into that. But like, what are your practices? Um, I, I think I'm becoming better at recognizing when I'm in my mind yeah. and when I'm like, like, I'm removed from source, the more analytical I become right? when I'm troubleshooting in my mind and like, you know, getting into arguments and things like this. And it could be just domestic, you know, just like, just like regular domestic duties, like, right. Kind of puts you in that. But look, you can be in the, I can be in the flow state when I'm washing dishes. I can be in the flow state when I'm surfing. I can be in the flow state when I'm lecturing. I think all great um, works of art, music, um, artists talk about channeling, just channeling, you know, sports. They talk about being in, in that present moment, that flow. So all, all of that majestic, wondrous, beautiful stuff happens in that state of no mind, no mind. There's no mind in the equation because the mind is a trap. We don't have to think our way out of this, this situation. We need to feel our way out of the situation and be guided out of this situation or experience this beauty of this situation and, and um, immerse ourselves completely in it. It's a state of no mind. And many people can get there with meditation uh, on its own and breathing. And for me, it's, it's more, I try to bring that into my daily life. It's not like I set aside time for meditation. I have had experiences, you know, using psychedelics like um, ayahuasca and other things um, that have helped me get out of that space. And I think right now we're seeing a resurgence of, you know, the psychedelic revolution happening in the space of mental health specifically and guided use of things like psilocybin. There's a really good documentary on this right now on Netflix called um, How to Change Your Mind. Uh, I think it's Pollen or Pollock. Michael Pollen. Pollen, Michael Pollen. Um, so yeah, there's, there's various different ways that I attempt to look at the broader perspective by removing my ego from the equation. That's where the learning process happens. Profound experiences, you know, in ayahuasca and, and many other things. And I think that's essential for our growth. Like my, for personally speaking, that's been essential for my growth um, to understand when I've been a jerk. You know, ayahuasca is beautiful because it shows you like, you've been a real asshole. <laughs> Here it is, you know. Here's that experience. Um, and and really feel the sorrow of how you've behaved badly to a person where you thought it was nothing. You know, I felt that with my son, for example. It's like this experience of like saying um, no to him on an occasion really abruptly when, when all he wanted was a bit of support, you know. Um, and just to feel the pain of that from his side, mm. deep sorrow, you know. Yeah. But in waking life, it would be nothing. It'd be like, ah, you'd forget about it, right? Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's worthwhile to, um, to see just how much impact we have on people and living things in general. I told you about the avocado tree outside that I transplanted from one place to another and, and I ripped it out too quickly and I removed it because it was actually attached to the pit. It was birthed right. from the pit of the avocado and I, I removed it and the pit um, remained in the ground where it was and I moved the, the whole tree and you know that came to be in an ayahuasca journey as well as like this deep sorrow of killing this beautiful tree it was mm. you know doing so well where it was because of my abruptness because of my force because of my lack of um lack of attention to detail and you know it's my fault mm. <laughs> so yeah it, it's amazing what comes up and yeah. uh, just to see how much positive and negative impact we have and what we think we are and mm. most of the time we're just playing an actor you know we're just we're just acting yeah yeah we're just mm. acting um so it kind of removes that actor from the equation it's like you see your life for what it is rather than what you think it is mm. you know yeah 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 something that i loved about your teachings as well in university where you introduced me to Dr. Gabo Mate and the wisdom mm -hmm. of trauma and it's it's about 
yeah, like it's about the emotional repercussions of, yes, we do have these, these amazing minds that do a lot, a lot of the time they're running the show, but it's like you said, in those small moments, the ripping the avocado out of the ground, the saying no to your mm. child. It's like, what are the emotional implications of these moments? Not only for those around us, but then for, with, for within ourselves that we don't allow ourselves to access and tap into unless we create space whether it be moments throughout the day or whether it be a big experience like a psychedelic journey to go away and just yeah do that little bit of digging and see where where am i at beyond the mind and yeah. i think this i think this should well i don't like the word should but i think that it would be great for people to start to access these non-ordinary states of being in order to try and dig a little bit deeper into their healing journey whether it just be with something simple like meditation or breath work or a full-blown ayahuasca experience if you'd like but how can we because those do take you deep they do but then it's about how we come back to those moments washing Mm. the dishes speaking to our partners that you know that's where the healing journey really exists where it's like in those moments it ripples out into every other cell of our being every other other moment of our lives and again Mm. it's coming away from segmentation back towards wholeness Mm. these are the ways it's a tremendous uh potential right now for healing our own trauma and our collective trauma as a species um there is a great book called the origin of consciousness i think i have the copy there Uh, it's by a guy named julian Jaynes. And it was written, I think, in the night, late, late 1970s. Um, it's the white book over in the corner. It's just kind of oh. slanted that way. Yeah, so the origin of consciousness. And he's basically saying in that book that um, our ability to think inside our mind is an abnormality of nature. Mm-hmm. So you don't have a dog wake up, <laughs> waking up in the morning going... You know, how am I looking today? Do I feel kind of depressed? You know, like, oh, those dogs were really assholes to me the other day. Should I go hang out with them again? You know, like, you don't have that inner kind of uh, uh, chatter like we do as human beings, you know? So this is all born out of trauma. It's, it's, it's an abnormality of nature. We should be connected to source all the time. But it's our mind. But our mind is, the beautiful, is a beautiful thing, too, because that allows us to get into other realms of um creation in a way you know so we have a tool called the brain the human brain human consciousness but it's are we wielding it in the right way do we have the do we have are we spiritually evolved enough to wield this um and a good example is that are we spiritually evolved enough to wield our technology you know we i think we need to heal ourselves before we start wielding our technology better because our technology will consume us if we don't, yes. you know, and then the examples are already there from rates of cancer to rates of diabetes to the obesity crisis and something to, to technology too, yeah. you know, because we've, we've got an easy life. We don't have to lift and, and do labor, you know, we don't have to plow fields anymore. So, um, and technology is another expression of humanity. And yeah. so it will also represent the fragmented nature of humanity as well. If we don't. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Yeah. So our, our spiritual evolution is needed, you know, to wield our brain and our technology, hence our technology in the right way. And uh, so it doesn't consume us, you know. Um, so we're on the the precipice now is like, are we going to evolve or are we going to be trapped, you know? And um, yeah, I know which side I'd like to be on, but we'll see how it plays out, you know. At the end of the day, I think um, it's, you know, even death itself is kind of an illusion. <laughs> so that relates to a, the bigger process of what is evolution and what is consciousness and what is this totality of this experience. Um, and, you know, we, we, we have a long way to go to, f- I don't think anybody here on this physical plane has the complete picture of that at all. So, um, yeah. I think if we did, we wouldn't be on the physical plane. We couldn't hold it in these human brains. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Heard that we have to come into this body with, with a certain state of amnesia, which allows us to have the full experience. Because if we have that remembering of connection to source with us as we incarnate, then we don't get to have the full human experience. We have to forget it in order to remember it again. And isn't there that quote from the Gita? Uh, the two becomes, well, the one became two for the joy of becoming one again. Yes. 
Did I butcher that quote? I don't know quote? if it's from the Gita, but no, it's that's from it. somewhere. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about these, not like again, non-ordinary states of consciousness, like for example, when you're on a full-blown psychedelic trip, like something like ayahuasca, it's not a state you would want to be in all of the time because it is so much to hold. But mm. then, yeah, like these medicines give us a little glimpse into what the transcendals transcendental states are which are states beyond this 3d human reality yep. beyond the confines of yep. our flesh and bone and so yeah yeah but that's why i do do think it's so important to dip into those see oh yeah cool there's more out there mm. and then come back to the human experience and be like yeah. so now what do i do <laughs> yeah. well we're limited by our nervous system i mean like our the way we process light information is we're only seeing like 0.005 percent of the light spectrum which is you know what we see as physical reality is just tiny tiny infinitesimal fraction yeah. of of what is really there the energy that's there yes. you know and that's why when people say oh that person had bad vibes that's a real thing that's yeah. real energy you know mm. that's it's, it's 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 in a way but we can't quantify it on a um, scientific level you yeah. know in a material sense yeah. so this is where you know again um kind of where we're at in terms of understanding the material and the spirit go together mm-hmm. um, and that we need to bring those things together to to evolve ourselves and um, yeah I mean one of the limitations that I constantly come back to is this idea of materialistic science you know this Newtonian concept of like okay we're going to splice it down this reductionist philosophy of like we're going to look at how x impacts y okay this is what we're going to do we're going to so we're going to look at how Weight training impacts muscle mass, and that's what we're going to measure. But, I mean, there's so many intangibles in that equation, you know, like everything from nutrition to sleep and all this kind of stuff. And we forget the bigger picture. We, we lose the forest from the trees, you know, and it's kind of like, yeah, we're limited in how we can measure things. We're limited in the scope of what we can measure, and we're limited because we can't quantify the most powerful force of all, which is the force of, of creation itself, which is love. And, and that is... You find me any scientist in the world that can quantify love, and I will I will bow down to that person because that person does not exist. Okay, mm. nobody can quantify love. We can't even come close to it. And yet, this is the this is the thing that puts everything into motion. This is the creative, energetic force of the universe. Those who have had the deepest psychedelic experiences understand this. Those who have had transcendental experiences understand this. This merger of the plus and the minus, that point. In between those two forces is the force of creation, the positive and the negative. You reside in that force. That's the power of that's the power of God, and um, you know uh, things like psychedelics. They bring us closer to that. People get addicted to drugs because it gets them closer to death. Yeah. Heroin yeah. gets people closer to that. Yeah. It's that sensation, that sensation that we've been looking for our whole life, yeah. that feeling of connectedness. Yeah. That's why people get addicted to drugs. Yeah. Yeah, but it's with us. Behaviors, extreme sports, it's all kind of the same rush that people are chasing. Sex, whatever it might be. You know, all these addictions, they're all brought about by disconnection. We want that feeling in our life, and it's it's a um, illegitimate way to get that feeling. Yeah. Yeah? Because we should have it in our life all the time. Yeah. Yeah. That connection. And it's kind of like pushing at an edge to try and feel the center as well, hoping that you'll loop you loop loop back around but mm. yeah yeah you're yeah. too far out on one end of the periphery yeah and riding that 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 energy in between the plus and the negative yes you know if you look at an electron if you're riding in between those two polarities that's why it's so it feels so amazing when you have nothing in like when you're just able to observe sit back and observe it for what it is and say this is this is freaking beautiful, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. rather than taking one side or the other and getting into that argument, yes. which takes you out of that space. Yeah. You know, it's like sitting on a mountaintop, just looking at everything on. This is amazing. Rather than getting into the, okay, left versus right paradigm, like, okay, Republican versus Democrat, for example, just for some, you know, as an example, like getting into that fight, it takes us out of that state yeah. of being, you know, and we do that with, with our religions, we do that with our, our races, we do that with our sexes, you know, male versus female, we do that with everything. You know, this this kind of um, argument, this is better than that. Turns out all these things have to coexist. Yes. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's like, yeah. you don't have males without females. Like, you don't have 
human beings without both sexes, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So, and then, yeah, the understanding of that, how that all comes together is, 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 the, is the totality of it. And the darkness and the light, which is what we're seeing now, you know, play out on the world stage, mm. you know? It's like, are we going to live to be a, like a light species? And I think, you know, coming back to my um, kind of Indian upbringing, and I had this really kind of interest in the Vedas, and this came later. These, um, or not the Vedas, the, the, the Yugas, the Vedas as well, but the Yugas, the Yugas, uh, uh, a like a, a cycle, a uh, 26,000 year cycle of consciousness. And right now we're apparently, according to many Vedic researchers and um, scholars, uh, on an upward trajectory of consciousness. So, and this consciousness comes about because of our relationship um, in the cosmos. You guys know about the Yuga calendar? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. There so was a the, book we read, both of us, The Synchronicity Key by David Wilcock. He discussed yes. all of this. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool book. Yeah. 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 yeah it's amazing. So there's people that think we're in uh, Dwapar Yuga. Uh, others think we're in the Kali Yuga. Um, but the common theme seems to be in the sending phase of those uh, Yugas. Yeah. And that's inspiring because it means that we're evolving yes. you know our consciousness is rising yeah. we have to learn to get along on this planet you know that's kind of where we're at yeah we want to get along and learn how to take care of each other and improve ourselves and all yeah. that kind of stuff yeah. yeah yeah what's that thing called when you go up oh, improv classes like improv acting yeah. there's this concept in improv or like comedy um for actors of the yes and where if somebody presents a situation to you you never say no let's change it to this you go yes and i'll add to it let's roll with it and i think that that's a really beautiful um take on reality and existence at this point in time where I, it's a beautiful remedy to all the polarity and all the like you say the left versus right and the mm. republicans versus the democrats and all of that kind of stuff it's like can we keep coming back to like, yes, you've got your way and there is mine. There mm. is room for all of it. Mm. You will always yeah. have your opinion. I will always have mine. It's all actually okay. And we can hold space for everything. Yeah. And I think that that's like such a, yeah, such a beautiful remedy that everyone can bring into their lives. As soon as you are triggered or experience a polar polarizing point of view, um, just be like, cool. Yeah. yeah. And I can have my thing too. And because we are inevitably all, like you say, elevating, moving forwards, progressing in some way, evolving. And whether that person decides to be on the train or not is up to them. And that's okay. Yeah. As long as you can stay on yours and keep moving in the direction that you're heading in. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we're all, yeah, that was really nicely summed up. Yeah. yeah. Well, is there anything else you'd like to ask while we are here, Jesse? Yeah. Uh, Recommend a book for our listeners or tell us about one that's particularly impacted you. Oh, wow. That's hard. <laughs> <laughs> so many good ones. Um, you can list a few if you, if you feel. Well, I, I th yeah, sure. Uh, like David Icke was really, you know, one of the people that triggered my awakening. I'm probably the most significant person to do that. Uh, and the book I read was The Biggest Secret way back in... 2003, so that's um, probably the most well-read, well-used well book on my bookshelf. Um, you can see it there with duct tape on it. Uh, <laughs> um, so David Icke, I highly recommend if, if people want to explore that kind of realm. You know, it, it is about looking and acknowledging the darkness, and a lot of people take his readings as being quite dark, um, but we need to see the darkness. We need to see the darkness in our civilization the darkness from a civilization comes from the darkness in ourselves so i think it's really profound reading uh, i love his work um the other book i'll recommend is the yugas by joseph selby which i think Ooh. i've just loaned that copy out it's not there it's the yugas by joseph selby and um he talks about his his book is based on the teachings of yukateswar sri yukateswar and uh Paramahansa Yogananda right? yeah. and um, he's basically talking about the cycle of human consciousness which I just briefly mentioned which is a 26,000 year cycle and yeah that book really is very inspiring and reassuring at this time of great transition I think would be really helpful for your audience to, um, to look into it 
Yeah. I just want to add a quick quote. Um, it's a from the book The Journey Home by Radhanath Swami. Uh, he says that oh, there's basically a small story where he was in a lecture hall and a yogi comes and pushes aside the scientist and he, basically the yogi puts himself in a trance for half an hour and then walks out. And before he walks out, he says, science will evolve more in 10 years than it has in the last 100 when we start to study consciousness and not um, what you were saying before with like the very specific variables, the X and the Y and ignoring light. And Redu reductionism. Yeah. Reduction, yeah. that's yeah. the Which word. The yeah. Newtonian kind of model of of science. Yes, I think that summarizes it well. And yeah. Cool book, cool experience. And I love this bookshelf and uh, I'm going to go revel in it. Yeah. <laughs>